¿Cómo están? Muy bien. I don't want to distract from the, uh, the worship this morning, um, although I do have great desire to say hello, and, and it's great to be back, and we miss all of you and miss being here, and we'd love to share with you. So please, if you could, show up today, tonight at 7. We'd love to be able to chat. If you need a teaser, I could, I'm going to share a story on what caused me to faint in the middle of class and have to call the ambulance. So if you want to hear the end of that story, you can come at 7. <laughs> And there is going to be good coffee, fresh coffee. So, but, uh, but I do want to continue on in our worship this morning more than anything. Um, and so let's turn to Psalm 139. And I want to read the text first, and then we're going to examine it as it examines us. And I am reading, just in case you're wondering, I'm reading from the official grace authorized version of the Bible, the English Standard Version. Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word's on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there too. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to move my mic down a little bit so that you don't get hit with my voice anymore. Is that, is that okay? Boom, pa, okay. I I'm think as I read this psalm, I immediately thought back to a, um, a story that our pastor in Costa Rica uh, told us, um, something that happened to him. He was watching uh, Larry King on CNN. Um, the first question I had for him was, why was he watching Larry King on CNN, being as he doesn't speak English? 
but he was watching it. And he was telling a story about Larry King interviewing a famous uh, televangelist, American televangelist, um, uh, whose name will, will go unmentioned. Um, but as he began to talk with this, this televangelist, um, it began to, he brought up different stories about, um, well, questioning some of his methods and questioning some of his results and questioning some of his motives, uh, so on and so forth. Um, but the, uh, the evangelist uh, uh, just was water, you know, what's the saying in English? Uh, water over a duck's back or something like that. I can't remember. Anyways, Larry King gets, uh, gets to the end of the interview and he says, um, would you mind if I asked you just one more personal question? I said, sure, no problem, no problem. He said, um, I noticed you're wearing a gold Rolex. I said, yeah, yeah. Um, how much is that Rolex worth? He said, oh, well, this one runs around $800. Okay. Um, and that suit you have on is very, very nice. Um, how much does that cost you? Yeah, yeah, this one goes about 5000 Oh, okay. Um, is it true that you have five houses? And he very proudly said, of course, yes, yes, one on each coast, a couple in the middle, and, and you failed to mention that I have ten cars. Um, and Larry uh, continued on, and he said, and, and how much money do you actually make on your crusades? And the gentleman said, well, a lot. Um, and then Larry finished it off with this. He said, I just have one more question for you. I hope you don't mind me asking this. He said, no, sure, whatever. He said, why is it that you look and act so little like your master? And I don't know how that question hits you, but I know exactly what I was thinking after I heard the story. I said, yeah, good job, Larry. Way to go, buddy. Get him. Um, and, and especially if you knew who this person is, it's... It, um, the theology, uh, his theology is very much based upon um, God's gospel is wealth. It's basically the two. If you believe, you, you become rich. And so, um, so I was pretty, pretty happy that he was exposed. However, what impressed me more than anything was, as the pastor was telling the story, was, was his reaction. He didn't have the reaction that I had. His reaction was this. Why is it that I look and act so little like my master? And then he broke into prayer and he said, God, will you search me and will you mold me to be more like Jesus? That was his response, much different than my own. And I, and I think of that story because that's what's going on in Psalm 139. David has seen a situation where people are using God's name in vain. People are dishonoring God in the name of God. People are misrepresenting God, and he is angered by that. When he sees that, it makes him angry. He doesn't like to see God's name used flippantly or in a wrong way. And as he's teetering on the edge of self-righteousness, as I was, instead of falling over... He turns into supplication and he says, God, search me. And if I'm like that in any way, change me. 
And that's what's going on in this psalm. Um, the, the question maybe for this psalm is, how are we going to remain loyal to God over the duration of our life? Those of you who, uh, who didn't have the, the, the pleasure of going to the men's retreat, it was a great retreat. The speaker was a little shady, but everything else went well. Um, one of the things that we wrestled with over Friday and Saturday was this. Um, past experience, past faithfulness, past obedience does not guarantee present obedience and present faithfulness. It does not guarantee future obedience and future faithfulness. Past loyalty to God does not mean that we are going to be loyal to God tomorrow or the next day. And we are continually, we have to continually adjust to our circumstances and the temptations and the trials that come our way to maintain loyalty with God. So how are we going to do that over a lifetime? And Psalm 139 teaches us that God is uniquely qualified to examine our hearts and to guide us in a path of loyalty towards Him. Because He is all-knowing, and he's everywhere all the time. And so we're going to examine this psalm and, 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 and flesh that out um, in just a moment. Psalm 139 is an interesting psalm. It seems like it's three different unrelated pieces in one. I don't know if you caught that as I was reading. You know, you've got Psalm 139, 1 through 18 sounds like uh, a poetic, colorful expression of Systematic theology. God is all-knowing and God is everywhere. Omniscience and omnipresence of God, but communicated in a very poetic way, a very beautiful way. And then all of a sudden we're slapped with this. Do I not hate those who hate you? Oh, that they would slay wicked men. Oh, God, I hate them with complete hatred. And then as quick as those verses go, we jump into another section. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And so we, got, we have basically two options here. One is that it, this is a, an ancient Near Eastern version of ADD where the author is just writing down some random thoughts. Or there is actually some sort of coherence to this text. And I, I'm going I'm to go with the latter on this one and say that there's, there's some coherence. And, and so what I want to do is try and show how this fits together. Um, and again, um, it, the, the coherence is found in the situation for which this, this psalm was written. And we find that in verses 19 to 21, um, that w- which we just read. Um, I want to highlight that um, in verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Uh, o men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And, and, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the complete hatred. I count them my enemies. What's going on here? Well, what's going on here is that David has, um, has seen, uh, most likely, we don't know the specifics of what's going on, but what, what seems is happening is that David has seen people using God's name and misrepresenting God, and that makes him very angry, as I've already said. Um, when we read uh, about David in Psalms, and we, well, one thing we catch about David is this, this man is passionate about God's glory. He wants to see God's reputation furthered everywhere. And he wants to, he's like a grandparent with grandkids. 
Everywhere you go, the grandparents are talking about the grandkids, right? You know, look how wonderful Jimmy, Jimmy and Johnny are, and aren't they cute? They're the best. They're so smart. You wouldn't believe how smart they are. And, and David's kind of like that, but with God. God is the best. I want everybody to be around God. I want everybody to know God. I want everybody to believe in God and know how wonderful He is. We read in Psalm 8, for example, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 63, 1. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Just because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Or Psalm 34, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. Come on, everybody. So when he sees God's name and God's reputation uh, being misused, that angers him and frustrates him. And so that explains uh, what he's doing here in 139, especially when he says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, it's maybe not the language you would necessarily use here, but what he's trying to communicate to God, I think, is, God, I am loyal to you. I want to be on your team. I want to represent you. You the man. That's how we'd say it, maybe. And so, he's communicating this, and it seems as he's running very, uh, close to that fine line of, of, of self-righteousness, self-justification, and then immediately he, he turns it. And that's where we come up in verse 22 and 23 and 24 with his petition. His prayer. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Two petitions here. Uh, The first one is this. Basically, if I were to write my own Bible and paraphrase it, which I'm never going to do, um, he'd he'd say, God, is there anything in me that is disloyal to you? Is there anything in me that I may not even be seeing in my own life that doesn't represent who you are, that, that, um, that distorts your reputation and your glory? If there is, would you please show me? Reveal that to me. That's what's going on in this first section here. This, uh, the second petition is, um, would you lead me in the way everlasting? So if there's something, if I'm going down the wrong road, would you turn me around and head me to the right road and guide me down the right road, the, the, the road everlasting? There's two phrases I want to highlight in, in verse 24 that I think are important um, for our understanding. Um, the first part of, uh, of uh, verse 24 where it says, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Um, in, the, in the original language, it's, it's, it's kind of a hard verse to translate, and it could just as easily have been translated. Um, see if I have been behaving as an idolater. Um, and, then, and then the second part of that verse 24 is, and lead me in the way everlasting. And this, that phrase is a, is a direct reference um, back to, or in our case in the Bible, forward to Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah 18.15. Let's turn to Jer- Jeremiah 18.15. Very quickly. It's to the right of Psalm 139. It's a few books over. Uh, And 
Jeremiah speaking for God, uh, speaking oracles of God, um, speaking to his people who have abandoned him and gone into idolatry. And he says, uh, My people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways, in the ancient roads, and to walk into side roads, not the highway. And so this, this idea of ancient road, um, which is, could also be translated, this phrase, the, ever, the way everlasting in Psalm 139, the last verse, it could also be tr- translated ancient road. And it's, the, it's, it's a reference, I believe, to, to Jeremiah 18 and other, other verses like it. That, that ancient road is, it means walking the way of worshiping the one true God. And so, to leave the ancient road means to turn to idolatry. Okay? Is that somewhat clear? Okay. Clear as mud. Good. Okay. Um, now, um, I want to... Two quick observations with these two petitions that are going on here. The first one in, Psalm tw- in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. David seems to be characterized by this in his life. And I'm very challenged by it. He is just... He just wants God to search him. Search him out and know him. You, you, when you read uh, in Psalm 26, 2, for example, um, turn there. I love hearing the Bible flipping. I miss hearing that. You can hear the fanning of the pages. Um, 26, 2. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. God, examine my life. Uh, Psalm 51, 6, he, he, he writes, You delight truth. In the inner inward being, or the innermost part of my life, you desire truth, God. Um, and he's characterized by this. His approach to life and, and, and to God is, is just that. God, here I am. Have as you will. Tell me, show me, whatever you want. And the question I have for us is, is that the way that we approach God? Is that the way that we uh, relate to God? Um, I think uh, to make a very broad generalization... I think a lot of times we fall into two camps. The one is the uh, the passive aggressive um, sort of believer, and where we uh, what I mean by passive aggressive is um, I hear what you're saying, I hear what you're telling me, and I'm going to make it seem as much as possible like I'm hearing you and listening to you and obeying you, but in all reality, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. Um, you know, my son is, is passive-aggressive. My youngest is very passive-aggressive. Um, Cade, don't eat the cookie. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. No, don't, don't go eat that cookie. Oh, sure. Just waiting for us to look away, and the next thing you know, he's over, and he's grabbed the cookie, and he's eaten it. And in a lot of ways, I, th- I think uh, I find myself very much like that with God, where I, I hear what you're saying, God, but I, I have my agenda, my plan. I have exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm going to give you the nod, but I'm going to go steal the cookie. Um, and so that's one approach to, to, to relating to God. And the biggest thing we don't want from God is to be f- caught and found out. So a passive-aggressive approach to God is, I'm not going to pray this prayer. <laughs> I don't want God to know what I'm really thinking and what I'm really feeling and what I really want to do. My whole, life is, my whole life is built around not getting caught. Then you got the other side, which is more of the David model, and, and that would be, um, here I am. Do what you will. See what you will. Just, just whatever you do, just show me. Because what I, all I care about, I don't care about my reputation, I don't care what you find in me. What I want to do is I want to walk down the ancient path. 
I want you to be glorified in all that I, all that I am and all that I do. And so if you've got to point out stuff that I don't like, well, that's fine as long as it means that um, I'm going to be corrected and that I'm going to be honoring you. And so um, perhaps something to ponder on is, is what is our approach to God? What, um, when we read this sort of verse, is this an intimidating verse for us? Or is this uh, seen as a freeing thing for us? Something that will enable us to be more pleasing to God. Um, and getting back to, to the second verse in this section, of uh, verse 24, um, I want to highlight one thing real fast. Is, you know, as I said, it reads here, um, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Or as it could be translated, see if there be, uh, see if I am walking in, a, in, a, in an idolatrous way. Um, could be another translation. Um, and and uh, sometimes when we read stuff about idolatry, we think, oh, what a bunch of dummies. How could anybody do something like that, you know? Idolatry. I mean, it's just not something we struggle with today, you know? Or is it? What, is it, what does idolatry look like in our lives today? We're not going to go out necessarily and carve up something or, or make something out of gold. But uh, how does that look in our own lives? And uh, overhearing Bill or someone talk about Bill um, at the retreat, it was all positive, of course. Um, he, uh, uh, somebody mentioned that the, and, uh, one of the definitions you guys have been using recently, uh, the idea of idolatry is, is idolatry or having an idol or an idol is anything that defines you. Um, and I like that. Um, I've been challenged to think about that. What is it that de- defines you? Is it your job? Is it your, your reputation? Is it uh, how you dress? Is it who you know? Um, and if those things are what primarily define you, then that's, those are idols in your life. Another, another way of describing what an idol is, is an idol is anything we believe we need apart from God to make us feel happy, satisfied, or fulfilled. Is there anything in your life that you feel like you need, absolutely need, that's apart from God to make you feel fulfilled and happy and satisfied? Um, then if so, then you have an idol. Uh, and finally, another one is an idol is anything that we fear, trust, obey, serve, desire, long for more than God. So I think in our own, in, in, in this culture here in the United States, some, some, some common idols would be reputation, um, security, the idol of security. I just want to be safe and comfortable. And that's what I need to be happy and, and, com- and, and, and fulfilled. Um, financial independence. Sex, food, approval of others. Failure can be an idol. Fear of failure. Family um, and our careers. So as we read those, that text, is there any idolatrous way in me? Be thinking about those things as we, as we come to God and ask Him to, to search our hearts. Is there any, are there any idols in, in our lives in that way? Okay, let me, let me summarize just for a second what we talked about so far. We've got David. He's seen a situation. Some people misrepresenting God. This frustrates him. Turns it into prayer. Says, God, is there any way that I'm like them? Is there any way that I'm disloyal to you? Is there any way that I am not um, um, representing you adequately in your reputation? And the question I have at this point is, why ask God? Why come to God for that? And the answer we find in verses 1 through 18. And that is this, that God is uniquely qualified to answer this prayer, to answer this supplication of of David, because God knows everything, and God is everywhere all the time. So when we ask Him 
to, to search our hearts, He can do it. And in fact, does it. Um, and, and, and as I shared uh, yesterday, one of the biggest problems we have in remaining loyal to God and in growing in our relationship with God is the fact that we are many, in many ways blind to ourselves. There are things in our lives that we just can't see and we don't see. And so we, for that reason, we need to come to God and ask Him to show us um, what's going on. Is there anything there? And, and, and Psalm um, 139 is, is a wonderful illustration of, of, of how God can do that. So um, we're going to zoom in real fast on, on some of these verses. Uh, verses 1 through 6 um, in theological terms, talk about God's omniscience. That is, that God knows everything. A beautiful description um, of this. Uh, Lord, you, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts. You search my path out. Even before a word's on my tongue, you know what it is. And uh, one thing I think in, in reflecting upon the, this fact that God is all-knowing and, and especially the, the, the intimacy of the knowledge that He has of us, of us is this, that um, God is not just concerned with loyalty on the outside. God is not just concerned that we're doing the right things, though that is important. But what He wants is loyalty in the heart. Loyalty within our own affections and our desires and the things that we want things that we think we need and the things that satisfy us. And when he examines us, he's not just looking at the road we're walking on, on the outside, but he's looking at our hearts and what's going on on the inside. Um, So God is all-knowing, and he'll search us. He searches the inside of us and the outside of us. And, and, and secondly, what we see in this, in this text is that God is, the, the, the theological term, omnipresent, or God is everywhere all the time. Um, I'm not going to go into all the, all the details of these verses, but there's two interesting, as he's describing God's omnipresence, it's in two sense. One is spatial. So, um, he talks about, you know, can't go up to heaven, he's up there. Go down to Sheol, yep, down there too. Um... Go into the sea. Yeah, he's there too. He's, he's everywhere. Darkness. Can't even hide from him in the darkness because he's there too. So this is this, this spatial idea that God is, God is everywhere. But it's also temporal time. Because you, you get to verse 13. What does it say? You formed me. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my, in my mother's room. That's way back. The beginning of time. And then he talks about the book that was written and the days that God has planned for, for him. That's future. So God is, God is uniquely qualified to guide us in the everlasting path because he's been there, done that, and he's, go, he's already been there and done that on the other side too. He knows our future and he's able to prepare us for what is to come. Um, one other very interesting thing about this is to understand this psalm in the in the ancient Near East um, in the ancient Near East context, and, and, the, and the, the sort of general belief was that that gods in the, at that time were localized gods that um, that every um, every kingdom and, and different area had their their little god that they needed to worship to keep their land. You know, free from, from problems. There was a God of the sea, and there was the God of Egypt, and there was the God of Palestine, and there was the God of Babylonia, and there was the God of the mountains, and the God of the valleys, and the God of the grass, and so on and so forth. So everything was localized. 
And um, when, it, when, a, when a person from that time period is reading this psalm, there's, there's another thing that's coming through that we don't necessarily hear in, in the 21st century, and that is that God is not localized. Our God is not localized. He doesn't just live here on Sundays, but He's with us on our business trips. He's with us in our homes. He's with us at our work. He's with us at our, in our fraternity house. He's with us in our classroom. He's with us everywhere, which is good and can be bad too, right? But He's examining us in all those areas too. So let's not localize um, our, our God. Um, he's around even when we don't realize it. Um, I think I'm going to... Uh, I want to wrap up by uh, thinking about some application to all this. God is uniquely qualified to examine our lives. And that if we want to be loyal to God, um, he, He's willing to search and examine us. And He knows our hearts and He can search us, and He's um, been where we've been, and He's going where we're going. Um, but I, I want to end with three questions in, in reflection of thinking about Psalm 139. The first is, why, why should we pray like this? Why, why should we desire to have a life of complete transparency before God? I think the first uh, response I would have is this that, um, um, I'll say it again, past experience, past faithfulness, past uh, obedience does not guarantee present obedience, present faithfulness. And what happens is our lives are always changing. What we know about God um, needs to be matched with the li- our lives as they change on a daily, on a daily weekly base- basis. New things come into our life, new events, disappointments, uh, blessings. And those change and those tempt us to, to believe in new idols, to follow new gods, to go on new paths. And so if we want to remain over a lifetime loyal to God... And in a world where our, our context is continually changing, we have to develop a habit of continually going before God and saying, God, examine me. Is there any... Am I walking down the wrong path? Is there anything in me that I can't see that needs to be confronted and changed? That has to be a part of our lives if we want to continue to be loyal to God. Secondly, why should we pray like this? Well... Um, it's for this reason. To do otherwise is to be a fake. It's to be an imposter. It's to, to not be real before God. And in any ways, it's kind of silly anyways because He sees what's going on. It's not like we can hide from Him. But people who are not transparent and honest with God often complain that... Um, I just can't hear God anymore. I just can't hear His voice. I just don't have that intimacy anymore. And it kind of makes sense. Because when we call out to God, in a sense, as He looks, there's no one there. It's just the imposter standing there. Thirdly, whatever's hidden, whatever's denied, whatever is concealed cannot be healed, redeemed, or fixed. And so, if, if, if growth and restoration is what we want, 
we have to go through the painful process of confession, repentance, belief. Fourthly, I think, um, very illustrative is David's Psalm 32, where he is in the middle of confessing, and he's telling his story to God, and he comes out with this line in Psalm 32, I believe it's 3, 3 and 4, where he says, he's, he's talking about the prior to this time of confession, he says, when I kept silent, and the implication is about my sins, my bones wasted away through, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Holding in and, and, and not being honest before God and transparent in the end kills our souls. And it dries them up. And before we know it, uh, we have completely lost contact with, with our God and, um, and don't even realize the roads we're walking in on. So why should we want to pray to God like this? Well, if we want to remain loyal to God, if we want to be, if we want to be um, uh, truly um, intimate with God, if we want to be restored by God, uh, we need to have this sort of a, a relationship with God. Um, second question uh, I have in relation to this is, what keeps us from praying like David? I don't know how you felt when you read this, but I'll be honest, the first time I read this, it scared the heck out of me. <laughs> so I'm, especially verse 23 and 24. I, I'm not, I don't immediately jump into search me, O God, and know my heart attitude every day. Um, and, and, and in a lot of ways, it scares me to think about asking God to really examine my life. Um, and, and I think... Um, there, there are several reasons for this. I think partly my, my own misconception of God. Uh, and so I need to be reminded of things like um, Exodus 34, 6 and 9. If you, you can write that down, we're not going to go in that. But it, it, going through the titles of God in the Old Testament. And mercy, love, compassion. He's a loving God. But, but um, I, I want to highlight Psalm 23, 6. And I, and I need to think about Psalm 23, 6 always to be reminded of who this God is that I am coming before. And um, for those of you that have a really good memory, about two and a half, maybe three years ago, I, I preached on Psalm 23 here. And um, God, you know, God is my shepherd, I shall not want. He li- leads me in green pastures, so on and so forth. You get down to the last verse, and it says, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And we looked at that, and, and um, in, the, in the original language, that, that, that phrase, follow me, um, is actually... Uh, the, the, uh, the context usually is found in military context. It's the idea of the, the, the generals pursuing their enemies, chasing them down. So it's not like this idea of following like, it's, I'm going to get you. And that's the idea. God's mercy and His grace chase us. Sometimes we're running from it. And He catches us. And He still blesses us with mercy and grace. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we, 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 um, that we follow, the Good Shepherd. And we see that more than anything in the cross. We weren't chasing after God when He sent His Son to die on the cross. God was chasing after us. Um, I also think that uh, a lot of times we, we, don't, we, we, we don't pray like this because of pride and, and self-righteousness. Um, I'm not like that. I'm a Christian. I don't sin 
I don't do stuff like that. That's other people that, that don't go to church. And, um, you know, I'm really not that bad. I do some little things every once in a while, but I'm not that bad of a person. Well, to those of us who think that, myself included at times, First um, John 1, 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. And I think uh, another reason why we don't pray like this, quite frankly, is that um, we don't have time to do this. We're too busy. Um, be nice, but I got more important things to do. Um, I got a pretty busy, busy schedule, and and I don't have time to really have. It, it just takes too much time. And the th- the frustrating thing about spirituality and is that. Um, we live in a world of microwaves and instant rice and, and DSL and internet and credit cards and all that stuff. But you can't microwave spiritual spirituality. You can't microwave your relationship with God. You can't do it in two minutes. And you do need to spend a little bit of time with Him. Um, and so uh, perhaps some of us need to, need in, in that way, we need to give that part of our lives over to God. And say, God, I'm going to give you some... Uh, Sounds kind of funny to say, God, I'm going to give you some time when really it's his time anyways. But I'm going to dedicate some time to spending with you. Um, the third question I have, and this is, I'm ending with this, for those of you that are, our stomachs are growling. Um, is uh, what happens when we, I guess the phrase I'll say, what happens when we get caught? Okay, We've, we go, we, we say this prayer, you know, search me God, know my heart, so on and so forth. Well, what happens when... He does, and we're exposed. What do we do? And I think our response depends upon what I talked about earlier, our approach to God. Because those of us who are sort of have the passive-aggressive mentality towards God, we do describe it as getting caught. God caught me. Darn it! My reputation's going to be shot. Or, man, I can't believe I did that, or... Okay, you got me, God, but I'm telling you what, I'm going to make a new commitment. I'm not going to do this anymore. We, immediately, we, don't, we don't deal with what we just did, but we, we, we promise, promise Him that uh, we're going to pay Him back for what we did. Well, that's called false repentance. And that's not how we want to respond when we get caught or when God exposes us. I think the way that we want to respond is, is modeled in Psalm 51 by David himself. And we're going to end, in case you're wondering why they came up here, we're going to end by meditating on Psalm 51 as a, as, a, as a wonderful example of how to respond to God when He examines our lives and when He um, searches us out and when He exposes us. And, um, and so uh, I would encourage you to, to, to think, read these lyrics and really think and pray and enter in, into, this, into the song. And, 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 and would also encourage, if you want, to, to, to read Psalm 51 while we're singing this song. The lyrics will be a little bit different, but, um, but nonetheless, um, I think you'll find it to be a, a rich time in communion with God. So let me, uh, let me end by praying for us as, uh, before we reflect upon, upon Psalm 51. 
Our Father, we thank you for um, you revealing to us that you are a gracious, loving, kind, just yes and holy yes God. But through the cross, we know that you are a God that is um, also one who can forgive because of, of, uh, of Christ and the burdens that he has borne in our, on our behalf. We pray that you would give us confidence to come before you and worship you. Confidence to come before you and have you examine our lives. We pray that you would so fill us with a passion for your glory, a passion for your reputation, an excitement for who you are, that we would desire to walk and represent you more than we would desire our own reputation to be furthered more than we would desire um, anything else in the world, that first and foremost, we would want to, to glorify you. And so we pray that you would give us confidence to repent of the sins and the idols that we follow and to believe in you. And so be with us as we reflect on this Psalm 51 that you have preserved for us over the ages and use it to communion with us, Father, to encourage us and to help us to continually to continue to walk on the ancient path whereby we um, glorify your name and reflect your glory uh, in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name.